Hello everyone and welcome once again to Cave to the Cross Apologetics and we're going over just the introduction for Jason Lyle's Keeping Faith in an Age of Reason. So we got about halfway through the list for the introduction so we're going to uh, try to finish up the rest of the uh, intro for the uh, fallacies that we were talking about. Yeah, good, good. Because it's interesting the subtitle here is Refuting Alleged Bible Fallacies, right? And so that's that's what he is doing. He's going to, as he mentioned, he's going to look at over 400 fallacies that he's discovered on the internet and attempt to deal with each one of these. All right, so let's kind of pick it up where we were and, uh, and go from there. So the next one is the... Uh, the semantic anachronism fallacy. Semantic anachronism yeah. fallacy, yeah. So this occurs when people import uh, modern meaning into a word... Uh, that the word used in its literal text is not meaning that. So we say this is what the modern meaning is, that must be what that means, and therefore whatever that's saying is incorrect, wrong, or whatever. Right? For instance, he uses alien. Hmm. Right? So the Bible in Numbers talks about you know the, the how aliens should be treated. Well, wow, that's kind of scary stuff. Yeah, there are so aliens we encounter in the Mr. Spock. This is how we, <laughs> we should treat Mr. Spock. Yeah. And clearly, alien is not referring to somebody or some person or something from another planet. It's referring to a foreigner. To somebody outside. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's not part of the, the, the children of Israel, the, the tribe, and that sort of thing. All right, and then there's the uh, sweeping generalization fallacy, and this is the failure to recognize that some principles are stated as generalizations that have some exceptions. So all statements seem to have some general general statements that you can pinpoint. Yeah. Yeah. So you make a sweeping generalization about right. the ge sweeping generalization fallacy. <laughs> yeah. So he uses um, he uses a um, uh, a um, and a, so the idea here is most of the time A, but on occasion not A. That's his example here that he uses, right? So it's not a contradiction if something is, is saying most of the time this is the case. So it's implying that, and you can pick that up from the context, right? That yeah. most of the time this is the case. But of course, that doesn't mean all the time it's the case. Right? There would be people that I would talk to that I would say, this thing and they're like well there's this one thing uh, right i understand but here's my analogy like let's follow the analogy where i'm i'm the analogy that i'm making is to make a, a general point it's not to say here's a, a left-wing uh, uh example that comes from 1942 that happened yeah. one time like i'm just trying to make a point here yeah, by using yeah, this analogy yeah. so in general this is the way it is yeah. right kind of thing right so that doesn't that doesn't hold me to to saying that everything is always like that all right, especially when we're talking about scripture, we're not talking about science textbooks. Where yeah, probably the minutia is is important and and probably even even needed. But here we're talking about kind of a, a, an ethical standpoint that we we can kind of make general claims like you know uh, um, we shouldn't attack people. But right. if someone's attacking you, eh, it's probably okay to fight back. Yeah. Well, yeah. you don't always have to make those. Here's here's the twelve different subsets of when I'm not talking or about or one hundred and twenty different subsets. Yeah, because yeah. then you're going to have a Bible that's a little <laughs> bit thicker than what it is. The next one is uh, failure to do textual transmission analysis. Now I'm not sure, uh, you know, if he's calling this a fallacy or is this just a failure. I mean, this is just something that folks don't do, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, <clears throat> there, there's. 
an understanding, uh, I think, with amongst people that, uh, or what they want. And I think it's true of some Christians too, where they want kind of like the Mormon idea of golden plates coming down from heaven and whatever the interpretation is, that's the 100% correct interpretation. The golden plates go back up and, uh, you know, what, what was written was written by, you know, the angels so that uh, it's, it's 100% um, uh, accurate. It, it, there's, there's no wiggle room for someone to, to sneeze and think that they're on line three when they're actually on line two. Um, and, and the nice thing about this is that um, for what we do have, what we're able to trace back, we're able to trace back uh, textual um, uh, variations among families to original text. So mm -hmm. even Bar Ehrman would go so far to say, well, we kind of know what the Bible used to say because it says what it says here. The fact that you know that there's a, a variation there means that you kind of know in general what, what, it, what it said. Yeah, yeah. So the idea here is that, you know, textual transmissions, right? Um, that's, that's the textual transmission analysis here. Textual transmission is a science of discovering, as he says here, of the wording of the original text of scripture where minor variations exist, right? Mm -hmm. So we can look at variations in copying and all that kind of stuff. In fact, they've named some of oh, these yeah. various copying errors and mistakes, right? So we can look at those and make a really good and understand um, you know, 99.9999% of, uh, of uh, what the, the actual text was, mm -hmm. right? And this isn't a copy from a copy from a copy from a copy. This was someone making a copy from the original, and then you can trace back, well, they probably made five for five different churches, or here's where um, uh, this person took this copy from an Alexandria text, and and inputted, uh, you know, the Latin to it. So there you have a translation of a copy. Um, but th there's a whole biblical science behind tracing these back. And you have like uh, the Nessie Allen text showing uh, kind of what families these these different readings um, occur in. It's 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 really interesting once you get into it and kind of understand the the nomenclature, the language of it. Yeah. So the issue is, what did the original text? Say? Those are what we care about. That's the most. what we care about the most. Yeah. And for our doctrine, we would say that those were the ones that were inspired. A copy isn't inspired. Uh, um, it's it's what the apostles. It's what the the authors of that letter or that book uh, wrote at that time, um, and the, the the one of the more famous ones that I think of is in the the Bible Museum in Washington D.C. They have a copy of uh, where uh, the Gutenberg printing press accidentally printed um, "Thou shalt commit adultery." So it's a command that you should commit <laughs> whoa, adultery. Whoa, yeah. Or do we understand that that's a misprint? And right. so, so so we might want to clarify and say, uh, by, uh, if a copy. Uh, uh, if a copy um, gives us the meaning of the original, then clearly that meaning is the inspired text. Mm -hmm. That's what we're after, right? So we don't just say, we don't throw out all copies and say, well, they're not the. No, no, no. If the copy if we can determine by uh, textual transmission analysis that the copy is the meaning, the original meaning of the text, then that's a good copy, and we can say that's the word of God. That's what God wanted us to know. Right? Yeah. It gives us the meaning. Um, you know, the uh, in the Old Testament, the uh, kings were told 
to copy for themselves mm -hmm. uh, a copy of the scriptures, right? right? Well, we went on to say, well, their copy is, was no good. You no, know, no, no. They were told to copy the scriptures. And so as they faithfully copied what the scriptures said, then the meaning uh, that uh, they, they that's there then is the word of God. Right? Mm -hmm. That's what God uh, wants us to know. All right, the Janair uh, fallacy here, this is the failure to read text in a way that is consistent with the style of literature, right? And so, you know, the Bible's written in various styles of literature, history, poetry, uh, prose, parables, uh, prophecy, all kinds of things. And so we need to make sure that we're reading the particular uh, literary Janair in, in in how it's purported to be read, right? So if we're reading poetry, we don't claim that that's history or yeah. something like that. God is the bread of life. So at one point, God was yeah. bread, yeah. and then he got baked, and right. then he, yeah. he and became... And then if you eat it, yeah. and when you ate it, you became life. Yeah. And then, yeah. I don't know how he turns into living water, but <laughs> there's probably some transubstantiation yeah. going on right there. Yeah. So he says that... Uh, so... He's, he uh, And so he says this is a mistake that these various critics find. So what he says here then uh, is that uh, we will find that many of the errors committed by the critic can be described simply as a failure to read the text correctly or carefully. Or carefully, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Bible claims, for instance, that there is no God in Psalm 14.1. Yeah, I mean, that's clearly what the Bible says. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, but only if you're a fool and you say it within your own heart. That's right. Yeah. right. The fool has said in his heart there mm -hmm. is no God. Right. right. So, hey, hey, let's read it carefully. Make sure that we understand what it's talking about before we attempt to try mm -hmm. to criticize him. Or, or, or what, what I always see happen, like uh, talking with a girl and uh, sharing faith with her, uh, you know, oh, well, the Bible just subjugates women and hates women. It's it's really bad. And if you know biblical history, you realize how much New Testament elevates women, even uh, among the Romans. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so it's like, well, where do you get that? Well, here's five different Bible passages. Okay, well, what's the context they're being written? What does that mean? You know, Paul says, you know, I don't want any woman to have any authority over a man. So that means anywhere or women should always remain silent anywhere that they're at <laughs> well or he's talking about in a particular setting and there's a reason for that to occur um so yeah reading the text carefully um yeah i don't know if it's a fallacy or if it's just plain wrong but um we we want it to be done with our own words our own our, our own writing so uh, we should want to do it uh, with what we're being critical against too yeah this next one he calls uh, specious reasoning this is uh, re uh, refers to what he says an illogical leap where the critic's conclusion simply does not rationally follow, right? Suppose a critic, he says, claimed that the statement Agag, uh, Agag was executed is contrary to the claim Agag had many descendants. Well, no, he can have been executed and still have many descendants, right? Mm -hmm. You know, unless he was executed at uh, one years old or something. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, he could have children and grandchildren. So yes, he was he was executed, but that doesn't mean that before he was executed he had children and therefore he will have descendants. Right? Mm -hmm. All right, so he tells us then after all of this that these various logical fallacies, if you want more information, you can appeal or take a look at the, some of the other books that he has written. 
the ultimate proof of creation, discerning truth, and understanding Genesis. So we'll have links to those books. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, on below our our our, uh, our cast here, so that you can uh, take a look at those. All right. So, how many then of these claims of contradictions then are we? Are, are, does he want us to take a look at? Just a couple. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's really gonna. Yeah. He's gonna be a, kind of a puddle jumper on this. He's gonna. <laughs> Get in and get out, but he's going to do it for about 420 of them. 420, so yeah. that, that's kind of wild. You I know? mean, if you're going to write a book, I guess yeah. I guess go <laughs> big or go home. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so notice he says here that he will list the critics, so this is kind of the format that mm -hmm. he wants to give us with regard to each one of these. So actually, he deals with these, but there's not a, a chapter for every one of right, these 421. Yeah. It's, it's right a there. little blurb. They're they're really easy to read, and yeah. so it's a good a it's paragraph a good reference or two guide or something too. like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So he says he he will list the critics' claim in bold. So that's one thing in terms of dealing with these things. Secondly, then he will state the error made by the critic, right? And then finally, he will give a brief explanation of why what the critic says is wrong. Right? And, and, and what is the right interpretation and explanation of what um, the particular issue is saying. Mm -hmm. So that's, um, uh, that's, the, uh, that's, that's the format that he uses for each of these criticisms. Now he says, uh, you know, this list of 420 doesn't have to be read in any particular order. In fact, you can read it in terms of what you're interested in. You can skip over some and that sort of thing. Uh, so there's various ways to read it. Also, he gives us a... Um, a website where he got this list of 420 uh, contradictions. Yeah. I mean, it looks impressive if you if you look at it in pictorial form. So, yeah, uh, if, yeah if, if all those things were contradictory, I guess uh, we can hang up our our faith and be be. Uh, I guess whatever we want to be, because uh, there's no meaning in the universe at that point in time, <laughs> or, or none that we can say has uh, has good uh, backing. Yeah, yeah. So here's 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 a question, and this might be a question that we would ask uh, from a uh, from a um, um, a, uh, a, um, a perspective on uh, a particular perspective on apologetics, right? Presuppositional apologetics. Mm -hmm. So let's assume that you're talking to an atheist who's making these contradictions. What we might ask before we jump into trying to answer contradictions yeah. is why, from your worldview, why, from your perspective, is a contradiction wrong? Right. Yeah. Uh, if, if you're going to keep getting pelted with these questions, um, th there's two sides to this conversation. Yes, you can always be free to answer those questions and say, well, this isn't really a contradiction or you're being, uh, you know, uh, uh, conducting a fallacy in, in your logic. But um, th there's there's a point within presuppositional apologetics where uh, we kind of understand it's it's how we look at those questions through what what lens of our worldview do we see? And like you said, uh, uh, okay, so there are contradictions uh, in, in people's uh, reasoning. Why is that wrong? What, can, can the Bible explain that? Can the atheistic perspective explain uh, why contradictions are bad? Yeah. If, yeah. if A can't be also not A, uh, is, is that possible 
uh, in either universe, or is there an explanation of why that can't happen? Yeah, so if I say God doesn't exist, and we would suggest that, then why would contradictions matter at all? Well, because, you know, we need to know what the truth is, really. For what? For survival? No, we don't. Because that's to... just how it is. Yeah. 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 Oh, okay. Yes. Okay. So, but we don't need to know the truth for survival. We can. People have for survived life, yeah. for hundreds of years and not know, you know, truth. Right. No. Very few folks, thousands and thousands of years ago, would have our particular perspective and understanding of how the world is made up. Many people survived, and yet believed that the Earth was the center of our solar system. Yeah. Right. Knowing more doesn't seem to make survival any more of a, yeah. a good thing or <laughs> beneficial. So so if you're saying, well, contradictions are bad because we need to know what the truth is for survival purposes, the question is, why is that the case, right? We don't need to know the truth for survival. It helps, right? And eventually you would think that uh, folks wouldn't or a species or whatever, an organism couldn't survive without the truth. But there are lots of organisms that don't know the truth. That You know, what the, What truth does a bacteria know, right? And yet it survives. Right? You, you keep throwing the, fake throwing the tennis ball, the dog is going to go. And it, by him not understanding that you don't always throw the tennis ball, is he suddenly going to not be able to survive? Yeah, right. So, so, so a contradiction has to, you know, if you're looking from a worldview perspective, which is what presupposition mm -hmm. is all about, Contradiction has to be, you before you can claim that it's wrong or it's bad reasoning or that sort of thing, you need to ask two questions. Number one, why is it wrong and bad reasoning? You might even want to go back further, you know, where then, what's the, why is reasoning itself, right? What's the source yeah. of that reasoning? Where did that come from, mm -hmm. right? That's what Lyle's book does. He yeah. takes a threefold approach of saying, how, how can science work in either worldview? How can reason uh, exist in either worldview? And what does it mean to be moral in, in either a Christian worldview or a non-Christian mm -hmm. worldview? So, of course, the Christian can answer that there is an absolute standard for reasoning. Yeah. And so when we violate that standard, it is wrong and it, we're in error. What's the absolute standard? Well, it's, it's God. God is, you know, he is the, um, the standard for reasoning, right? And so we pattern our thoughts after God's thoughts, right? And so we have a reason why reason or, you know, bad reasoning is wrong, mm -hmm. right? Because God is the standard and we're to pattern our thoughts after his. So the laws of logic are, are a reflection of the way God thinks. He's designed us to think that way. And so when we violate those, uh, that's why a contradiction is wrong. It's, it's wrong, you know, on the surface because it's not true. But we, mm -hmm. when we ask, so what? So what is it violates God's standard of, of reasoning, and so it is something that's that's wrong, mm -hmm. right? So that's 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 what's wrong with the contradiction. So you know, before folks begin to talk about the badness of a contradiction, they need to help. They need to make sure they understand, or at least can give a, an explanation of why a contradiction, why an error in reasoning is wrong. Right. right. You can be really annoying and just always say, but by what standard? By what standard is, yeah, is that yeah, the case? Yeah. So you yeah. just can. How do you know that? Yeah. How do you know that? Whoa, yeah. whoa, whoa, whoa. You have, to, <laughs> you have to kind of take a step back here and talk about your, your ultimates, your, you know, your ultimate reason, your ultimate standard, your ultimate uh, sense of uh, morality. Where, where do those things come from? Uh, and then you can kind of talk about 
uh, okay, so we have a sense that, uh, uh, or a, a justification for why uh, a contradiction is wrong. Here's where you're being um, inaccurate in your reason. So we have a, a sense for a reason uh, uh, that we can point to uh, in pointing to God's word. And we can once again then point and say, here's still a, uh, an answer to your question within the scope of a Christian worldview. But then you can come back and say, well, for you, why does that, why is that wrong? And, you know, it, if, if, if we talk about the problem of evil, I would think that's a good one. Uh, because, uh, you know, it's, oh, God is being immoral here. Well, by what standard do you claim immoral, uh, immoralness? Right. Uh, yeah. you, know, <laughs> you, you, you either have a standard or it's just your personal preference. Well, I don't like that God did it. So therefore it's not, uh, it's not moral. Oh, okay. I yeah, well, know. yeah, that's fine. I don't like uh, uh, chocolate ice cream. Yeah, exactly. Like, so, you know, we all have our opinions I, I mean, if taste. we can say that you don't like chocolate ice cream, that's pretty immoral. So <laughs> I think that's... Okay, okay, well, I take that. Yeah, as strawberry might be, yeah, yeah, might yeah, be okay. something that's, uh, you know, <laughs> atheistic there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, the, so it's the question behind the question. It's the mm -hmm. presupposition uh, that's, that's being assumed that we want to make sure we touch on with regard to the unbeliever. Where did that come from, right? So with morality, what is your standard? Why is that your standard? You know, well, it's survival value of the human race. Well, why is that important? Why isn't survival value of, I don't know, cockroaches? Yeah. Right? Why, why are we privileging the human race? If, if we don't believe in a God who created us in his, in his own image, then so what? Yeah. You know, why isn't it survival of... I don't know, the tigers, lions and tigers and bears, right? We know dolphins are going to take over the world <laughs> yeah. from, uh, you know, according to uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah, so. so this is a move that we can make from a presuppositional standpoint that oftentimes folks who are just arguing the evidence don't yeah. step back and think, well, wait a minute, you know, what what is the assumptions that are being made? Can those assumptions be challenged? Mm -hmm. And so, yes, we believe the assumptions about you know, what makes something moral or what, why reason is important should be challenged when you're considering, uh, uh, you know, the unbeliever, mm -hmm. especially the person who is claiming that God doesn't exist. Yeah, uh, among Lyle's uh, other book, uh, Ultimate uh, Proof for Creationism, uh, where, where it delves into this, Nancy Piercy's book is probably uh, the second best or, or right up there with Lyle's book of Finding Truth yeah. that, uh, that we did as well. And um, that's just a uh, hit out of the park uh, book on presuppositionalism that talks about just a good little walkthrough that we might do a, a review on it someday on this yeah. on this channel. Sounds good. All right, great. So that is the introduction to uh, keeping faith in an age of reason. So we're going to do all of these. Well, we'll see here all as we go. Four hundred twenty. That's, that's going to be our content. Yeah, just I'm not sure if well. I have that many fingers. Yeah, but uh, we can do at least ten. Yeah, <laughs> or five. Yeah. Both of them are fine. That's right. right. So that's what we'll be doing here, and uh, we'll take a look at uh, some of these and, and see what he has to yeah. say. Yeah, and we just don't want to give just his answer because right. obviously you can read the book too, but we, we, we I want think to we think about of, it, talk about it, discuss it, yeah. and make sure that we understand what, where, what the issue is, what the, how he's answering it, and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah, so I think there's a lot of good content here, and uh, hopefully it'll be beneficial to you as well. Yeah, so we would hope that you kind of get out of your cave with us and, and focus on the cross as we look at answers to these various contradictions that Jason Lyle gives us. We don't apologize for our faith, but we do apologetics. That's right. <laughs> Have a good one.